Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Good morning. Um, Thank you, Sarah, for um, a wonderful uh, opportunity with our children. It's really great. Um, I'm Canon Craig. For those who might not know me, I'm the interim rector, and I will just tell you, Sarah and the kids go out. What a joy and a blessing, um, the ministry that uh, we have as a team, um, and Sarah is such a big part of it. It's really great to see, and you now got to see firsthand what your children get to see on a regular basis. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts may always be acceptable unto thee. Lord, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So God is generous to us so we can be generous to others. We continue this Lenten series of observing a holy Lent where we're looking at the spiritual disciplines. They were found in our Ash Wednesday service, um, and last week we explored fasting. And I hope you've considered or maybe already have undertaken some kind of uh, fast in your own spiritual disciplines. And, And I think it's worth reminding you again this morning that our entire diocese has been invited to pray and fast every Thursday throughout the season of Lent. And indeed, one of those listed prayer focuses is our search for a new rector. So I encourage you to consider joining with the brothers and sisters across the diocese on Thursdays in some fashion of fasting and praying. Now, I'm pretty sure that I have shared with you all that I I don't believe in coincidences. Rather, I strongly believe in what I call God incidences. Um, They they may look a lot like, but but God's behind them, not uh, just a uh, happenstance. It's those times in our lives when God is moving and acting in ways that seem like there might, might be a plan and I believe there is. Well, in preparation for this morning, I've had two such occurrences, um, and one I'll share now and one I'll conclude with. Um, and let, let me give you a little background. For over 30 years, I've been good friends with Archbishop Ben Kwashi, who recently retired from the Diocese of Jos in northern Nigeria. Um, and during that time, we became very close friends with his archdeacon um, and his nephew, I think is what Mark actually is, Father Mark Mukan. And I'll never forget one particular visit that we made to Nigeria when we spent time with Father Mark, including one night when we did a service of lessons and carols. And we were out in a huge field um, up in northern Nigeria, under the stars. Um, And that part of Nigeria, there's not much light, so we could see a lot of stars. It was a a gorgeous night. And there were several hundred people in attendance. And the only available power was a portable generator running some lights and the musical instruments. Well, at the conclusion of the service, Father Mark invited us to come to his home. And when we got there, the house was completely dark. And he led us into the house with a flashlight. Now, as diplomatically as I could, I asked about the lack of power, not knowing exactly what that all would mean. His reply, oh, we used our generator for the lights at the service. 
It was during our visit he also wanted to show us where the newest congregation he was developing was located. He said we'd have to stay close together as we entered the maze of a pathway through the dump where people were living and where there was sort of a hard-to-believe community. I mean, there were not only places people were living, there were little places they'd converted into little shops. It was like a little village, but it was the dump. There in amongst the dump were shacks that were there and were built out of scraps of tin and discarded lumber. And with those, he had created one of those spaces for worship. And so we worshiped there in the dump. And some of his parishioners and some of those across the dump came enjoying us. Father Mark is honestly the most genuinely spiritual and holy man I think I've ever known. And if the Lord should afford another opportunity for him to come to the United States, I will bring him here so that you all will meet him. But our story doesn't end there. <clears throat> a year or so after our visit, his home burned to the ground. And for the past five-plus years, he and his family have been living in a dorm at one of the Anglican schools relatively nearby. This past week, he called me to update on the progress of the rebuilding of their house and how close they are to completing it after five and a half years. And during those five and a half years, he's still been helping the poor and those who live in the dump. Alms giving. Alms giving. I'm afraid it's become somewhat of an antiquated word. <clears throat> The word alms is defined as mercy or pity. It is spoken of as a, do, a, <clears throat> a donation to the poor. Alms giving involves compassion and mercy. Jesus is not speaking about offerings to the church for missionaries. Giving alms is not part of our tithes and offerings for the Lord's work. Almsgiving is charity for those who are truly poor and needed to prevent human suffering. Our Archbishop Foley Beach <clears throat> describes it this way in a, a Lenten uh, video that he actually has done uh, this year. He says, throughout the church's history, Christians have given alms as a Lenten discipline following Christ's command to love the lost and the least. During Lent, the Anglican Church in North America encouraged you to make giving to the poor a central part of your Lenten discipline. For Anglicans, this biblical discipline is reflected in the 38th of the 39 Articles of Religion, where it says, Every man ought of such things as he possesseth liberally to give alms to the poor according to his ability. And as we noted last week with fasting, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount also presumes that his disciples will give alms. Listen again to Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
when you give to the needy. Not if you give, but when you give. And I know this week Jesus doesn't tell his disciples to give. He doesn't say, go give. They're already giving. So this is something different, right? Something more. Using the familiar definition of a sacrament, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, giving to the poor is what we might call the outward and visible sign of almsgiving. But what Jesus is giving at is the inward and spiritual motivation. I love the story about 19th century English Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers. He served 38 years at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. He built an alms house. According to the story in the Chaplain magazine, Spurgeon would sell but refused to give away the eggs that their chickens had laid. Even close relatives were told, you may have them if you pay for them. As a result, some people labeled the Spurgeons as greedy and grasping people. They just accepted that criticism while defending themselves. But after Mrs. Spurgeon died, the full story was revealed. For all the profits for the sale of those eggs went to support two elderly widows. But when you give to the needy, So again, almsgiving is defined as the practice of giving money or food to the poor. And it's one spiritual practice that Jesus considers in the same category as private prayer and fasting. It should be done as agreement between you and God before it is done as an agreement before anyone else. Now our gospel this morning comes from Mark chapter 10. And Jesus has an encounter with a man while on the way to Jerusalem. And the man comes to him and he says, good teacher, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? At first, Jesus responds by repeating a portion of the Ten Commandments. And here's one of those places in Scripture where if we're not careful, we can miss something very important. So as I often say, let's let's slow down the tape. Let's take a closer look at what Jesus is saying And in this case, what he's not saying. You see, his answer to those commandments, they have to do with our relationship with one another. What we might call the second part of the summary of the law, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the portion that Jesus quotes from the Ten Commandments that this man quotes to Jesus about the Ten Commandments, that he's done all these things. And the man replies, I've kept all those commandments, but what's missing? What's missing? That's right, it's the first and great commandment is missing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, which summarizes those first four of the Ten Commandments, and they deal exclusively how to love and honor God, which now identifies for us the root of this man's problem. What is it he treasures most? What is his relationship with the Lord? Mark 10, 21 says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Friends, how important this is. 
Because, see, we so often focus on Jesus telling him to sell everything. That, that, that really grabs us. We're like, whoa, sell everything? Everything I have, sell everything? Is that not what we focus on frequently when we think about this? Completely missing Jesus looking at him and loving him and knowing what the issue was, was an internal heart issue, which would only be transformed by a radical realignment of his priorities. There was something else that was taking first place in his life rather than the Lord. And the thought of surrendering it was more than he could take. And Scripture says he went away disheartened and sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So what are we supposed to make of this morning's gospel? What are we supposed to do with it? How how does it apply to us? Is Jesus saying that we should sell everything and give it to the poor? No. A cursory look at at the New Testament will find several examples of faithful followers of Jesus with great wealth. Joseph of Arimathea donated his tomb for the burial of Jesus. Women supporters of Christ financially supported Jesus' work. They assisted in his burial and most likely donated expensive perfumes. The Roman centurion in Matthew 8 showed kindness toward the Jews by paying for the building of a synagogue. Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 sold land and gave the proceeds to believers. Lydia in Acts 16 is a prominent, wealthy, independent businesswoman. She hosted the first church in Europe in her home. But likewise, like this rich young man, other hearts were not properly aligned. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 sold land and tried to deceive the church about the proceeds to gain a reputation. It's not about just having wealth. You might be thinking now, so then I'm off the hook. I don't, I don't have to sell everything, right? I'm okay. I'm good. Or we might think, well, that guy, he's wealthy. And he and the wealthy, they have a problem with money. So this applies to them, not to me. Again, let's, let's stop and think about that. Wealthy. You know, there's a story about John D. Rockefeller, considered by most definitions the wealthiest American of all time, the richest person in human history, being asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more was his answer. I think of my dear friend, Father Mark, whose mud house with electricity from a generator burned, and he's now been living in a dorm room for five years. It's hard to imagine that I'm not rich in his eyes. Or I think of the comment one of our missionary friends, uh, Father Jerry and Stacy Kramer, made when they were here visiting. They work with refugees in the large camps in northern Iraq, and he noted the average stay for a refugee in a UN camp was over 15 years. Hard to imagine that I'm not rich in their eyes. It's probably not a surprise to you, but the United States stands economically strong. It's the richest nation on the earth. We have more millionaires and billionaires in the world. Even the median household income of $71,000 places a family in the top 4% of the richest people in the world. The median worldwide income is $2,800 per year. 
That means that half of the households in America make more than 25 times the median worldwide income. But we all probably know someone who has more financial wealth than do, we do. All of us have much more than most of the rest of the world. And by that standard, I think all of us here would qualify as rich. Well, what about having a problem with money? I know it's not the only barometer, but I think it's a somewhat significant um, indicator. A recent bank survey found that 49% of credit card holders carried credit debt from month to month. 49%. And that America's total credit card balance is $1.129 trillion. That's from the fourth quarter of 2023. The average credit card balance here in the great state is 7,458, which ranks us 14th in the country. Now I say this is not the only barometer, but I, but I hope you'll agree that saying we have nothing in common with this man regarding our relationship with wealth and money is simply not true. Still, as I've said, Jesus is not saying that everyone should sell all their possessions because it's not an external transactional response that Jesus was looking for. He's looking into the heart, again, the inward spiritual response. We notice how the rich guy can tick off all those external acts of righteousness, right? It's all, and I kind of image as Jesus is naming those, you know, he's almost like a, in a thing, it's a check, 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 check kind of a, of a way, every one of them. He's checked all the boxes, but his heart's not right. And though it's not in this story directly, giving can also become just a box we check off. And that's not what Jesus is after because it's our hearts. Well, the second incident that I had um, this past week was at our life group um, at Hope Point, which Nancy and I are a part of. And because I'm serving here, another couple who are our co-leaders, they're, they're currently leading, so I was totally unaware of what our study was going to be this past week. As it turned out, it was a familiar story from Acts chapter 3, the story of the lame beggar being healed by Peter and John. It's the story of a layman who, from birth, had been carried to the gate of the temple where he asked for alms. He asked for alms of those entering the temple. A man, we don't know his age, but I think it's fair to say he'd been there asking for alms for years. While lots of people passed by and many others giving something to him as they entered the temple, but Peter and John said to him, look at us. We're not giving you silver or gold. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Look at us. Look at him. They looked at him. They saw him. They gave no token offering, remember, as they were entering into the temple to pray. They gave him Jesus. You remember our rich man's first encounter with Jesus who looked at him and loved him and then said to sell everything. I hope you see it's not about the money. It's not the giving away of all of his money that Jesus is after. Jesus is after his heart because he knows that giving then flows from a changed heart. 
But while preparing for this morning, I kept thinking about my older sister. I hope I can make it through this. We have a Google Home device um, that shows random photos from our Google Photos. And twice this week, pictures of my older sister popped up. Coincidence? I don't think so. My sister Nancy, who very sadly died six years ago, was for me a huge example and a witness about almsgiving. Perhaps this won't be a surprise, but virtually in every street corner in El Paso, someone is there looking, asking, wearing a sign, carrying a sign, or sometimes even cleaning your windshield with a dirty rag, looking for money. And virtually every time we would come to a street corner with my sister, she'd pull out her wallet and give them something. My brother-in-law thought she was going to give everything away. Each Christmas, she would involve, sometimes hear the word make, my whole family participate in providing Christmas dinner for at least one family living in the barrios and buy gifts for their children. She and a friend led a Bible study in the poorest part of downtown El Paso. And she was on the board and volunteered regularly for a ministry, Casas por Cristo, which builds a complete block house with no electricity and no water over one weekend in a poor neighborhood in Juarez. Now, I don't share this... <clears throat> To make my sister look like a saint, I know better. I just saw how her heart was motivated to giving to the poor and the least. And I believe that's what Jesus is getting at this morning. Because almsgiving is the fruit of a heart that has been changed by the power of the gospel and the love of Jesus, which is demonstrated by our loving and caring for the poor. Let's pray. Father, on this second Sunday of this season of Lent, we're reminded of your call to us as disciples of your son Jesus to love and to care for the lost and the least and to be generous in our almsgiving. And I pray that may be true of each of us here this morning. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.